The following presentation is brought to you through the power of science. Shiny. Welcome to Generations Geek, a family-friendly celebration of geekdom by father-daughter Starfleet cadets. I'm science fiction writer Scott Pearson, and I'm joined, as always, by my daughter. Hello. And we are two generations of geek. This is episode 9, Into Geekness, and we'll be talking about the midnight premiere of the new J.J. Abrams movie, Star Trek Into Darkness. First of all, forgive my voice because I've swallowed a desert, and then put on your Spock ears and we'll get on with the show. First, let's be clear, this is going to be completely spoiler-filled. Spoilers! Spoiler alert. Big spoiler alert here. Because we are going to go all the way through the movie. I'd just like to say it first, sort of for comparing and contrasting purposes. The first J.J. Abrams film came out of, you know, four years ago. Four? Wait, the first J.J. Trek? Yes. 2009? Yes. It's been four years. We had to wait four years. Now, I really, really enjoyed the first one. As did I. I thought the screenplay was a complete mess and didn't make any sense, full of coincidences, but it was just a fun ride, and the franchise needed a kick in the pants of fun. (laughs) If I can mix metaphors in that way, I'm not quite sure what sense that makes either, but the last couple of Next Generation films... I thought were really quite dull and uh, disappointing. And so the first J.J. film just thought it was uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, the first time you see it, you're kind of like, oh, that was great. And then you, like, see it a second time, and you're like, but Romulus isn't near Vulcan. And uh, there's, like, a few, you know, but I think I'm I'm a little bit more willing to forgive it. (laughs) (laughs) And the other thing I want to make clear right from the beginning... Because I've been seeing this a lot online. I've seen it just happen in general, but I've also had it happen directly to me. That when I have said stuff critical of Into Darkness, there's there's often a knee-jerk response. People saying, oh, it's just because you're an old-school fan. And I want to make it clear right from the get-go that any problems I have with Into Darkness are entirely from just kind of a movie-making standpoint and a standpoint of wanting clear storytelling when I go see a movie or read a book. And I don't have any problems with alternate timelines. I thought creating the new series of movies in an alternate timeline was the perfect decision to make back when the 2009 movie came out. And and I certainly don't have any problems with alternate timelines because I even wrote one for Simon and Schuster. So, Booyah! So yeah, Honor in the Night is in the uh, Myriad Universes Volume Three. So the idea of doing an alternate timeline where different things happen, I get that. I like it. And so now I think with all of that foundation, we can move in to darkness. Bum, bum, bum. Good music cue. So let's just start at the top. It opens up, opening scene on a planet with a primitive civilization. I just 
love everything. <laughs> Not ever. I just the emotions of having yet another new Star Trek movie were just like overwhelming, and the special effects are so good. And in the first um, movie. There weren't actually that many aliens for us to get a good look at the amazing special effects, and now there are. And it's like compared to the like original series, everything is just so much like like crisper and like clear and oh yeah, and the, the, and the planets they're and on are just gorgeous. There's oh, I just it, it did look amazing, um, but for me, right from the get go, it didn't make any sense. <laughs> It, yeah, it was a little... The Enterprise, hiding the Enterprise underwater. It's like, you've got a spaceship, you're up in orbit, you're not going to be seen by the natives. So you say, let's go hide it underwater. And then, of course, they get busted because they get seen by the natives when they're coming out of the water. Well, where were the natives when they went down in the yeah, first yeah. place? Yeah, yeah, it's a little... Yeah. It makes no sense. But but you got the shot... Of the Enterprise coming out of the water, like, and with the music, like, whoa. It looks cool. That was... And, well, and, and of course, I think that's the only reason why they did it. I think when they were sitting around, one of them said, one of the screenwriters said, hey, wouldn't it be cool if the Enterprise came out of the water? And they all said, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> they didn't really think of a reason that made sense to do it, but they just did it because it looked cool. You know what I also think? Hmm. Because maybe as part of they were as they were developing the whole thing, they also have the scene at the end of the film where the other ship crashes into the water, and I wonder if they were actually thinking this will like make a nice confusing preview as they're trying to keep everything secret. Yeah, because cause everybody thought that it was the it Enterprise was hard to crashing tell. into what's, San what's crashing Bay. into the water in yeah. the preview. Is it the Enterprise? Is it the I, I, don't, I don't know if they did that or not, but it didn't make any sense. Uh, it's a whole prime directive thing. I don't know. It, it made no sense to me. And, but we'll, we'll just move on into the, the reason why they did a scene like that. They did a prime directive busting scene so that then Kirk would get in trouble. Because he's always doing whatever he wants. It's so sad when he gets in trouble, though. Because first it's like kind of comedic, and you're like laughing, and it's like, oh, it's just Kirk. He's and then and then. But he deserves to get in trouble. Yeah, but then, but then, the, but then when Pike says they're taking the Enterprise away from you, he just like stops, and he just looks like a puppy. Yeah, well, he deserved it. He looks and I like think, a sad puppy. I think that was a good payoff to what, of to a lot of the stuff in the first film, because a lot of people didn't like. In the first film, they didn't like the fact that Kirk is kind of a jerk throughout most of the film. I didn't mind that because I think that's a valid way to interpret this character, especially in the new timeline. He's even younger taking command than he was in the original series. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, he's a young jerk and he needs to learn some lessons. And, and one of the weaknesses, I think, in the first film was that it didn't seem like he necessarily learned any lessons. Yeah. So in this one, it really, at least at first, it appears as though he's learning a lesson. They kind of ruin that <laughs> because he's still getting spoiled by... Oh, wait, we forgot to talk about the scene where Spock's in the volcano. Okay. When they're on the planet. We have to okay. go back. Okay. Let's... let's. It's, uh... it's, it's my wallpaper on my it's... iPod. <laughs> it's and so pretty. She's showing it to me. <laughs> for you people out there in podcast land, 
she was proving to me that she wasn't <laughs> just making this up. So I can vouch I for her. I Instagrammed it. It's it's it got a filter is... on it. On the, the, and a frame, uh, but I made it awesomer. So it's, it's okay. a very, it's a very vivid scene. It's very so engaging. amazing. And then, like, this, I'm always surprised by the special effects when I go to movies because I think it's like because a lot of the times when I'm at home, if I watch something on the TV, it's gonna be like an older movie. Like we watch older movies, yeah. and they're not as crisp or as clear. And then I go to like. Like, especially when I went to see, like, warm bodies. Like, people's faces were just perfectly... Like, you could see, like, every pore on their face. Since you're talking about how great things look, maybe this would be a good time to just interject a little comment about the 3D. Because we went to see it in 3D. Now, unfortunately, I have messed up eyes that Mm. tend to cross... Now, my brain kind of automatically compensates for that so that I'm not walking around seeing double vision all the time. But the problem is, is that when I try to do something in 3D, like go to a 3D movie or look in an old Viewmaster or something, it doesn't uh, process the images correctly so that I don't end up seeing 3D. It just kind of comes and goes. So even though we went to the 3D version, I saw maybe 10% of it in 3D and the rest of it just looked like a normal movie for me. So... What was the 3D effect in general? How was the 3D in the film? I, it was, well, it was this movie that I first, like, I just started to realize I'm kind of used to it. Like, when I go see a movie in 3D, I don't, like... It's not a big deal? I don't acknowledge the 3D as much for the movie, which makes me kind of sad, but I guess I'm just, like, I'm, like, this awkward generation, whereas we're growing up, all the technology (laughs) just made, like, this, like, boom, and then we had, like, touch screens and, like, iPhones and all this stuff. Maybe, um, yeah. But, but of course, it was gorgeous. I only noticed it the... One of the only times that I really remember noticing it was... With the warp sparkles? Was uh, the what sparkles? The warp sparkles. The warp sparkles. Oh, yeah, a little bit with the warp uh, trail so sort of pr- thing. Oh, my God. I love I that so it, much. I noticed it uh, right in that opening scene when the natives were throwing spears at them. And they Ooh, had a yeah, couple yeah, of that too. spear shots. A couple of those I actually, I was like, whoa, and like moved around. Like, usually but 3D doesn't do that to me. For the most part, I, I, I can't see it. Were you done with the Spock in the volcano scene? Was there No, no, I'm not say? done. I'm not, no. Okay. What did you want to say about Spock in the volcano? Okay, it's just so because he like goes down and you can already as soon as they cut to that scene you can tell that part of what he's doing he's doing it because he's like if i don't do this this planet is going to end up like vulcan mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. you can just like immediately tell um and then he goes like down there and then and then he says the thing he he said the thing <laughs> <sighs> he said what the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few ah. and then somebody interrupted him he started saying that? But he said the thing, mm. and I almost Nose. had a heart attack in the middle of the theater because I thought he was... And then he, like, sat there and, like, was just, like, getting ready and, like, calming himself down and, like, trying not to... And being, like, Vulcan and I... Yeah, and they've actually... The idea that his sort of emotional response to the destruction of Vulcan in the first film is causing him to do things, like, risky. And, yeah, and, yeah. And they've kind of been developing that through the comics that are set between the first movie and the second movie. Yeah, like, he would run off and do yeah. stuff to save, And like, so, unfortunately, yeah. it's like, they didn't do as good a job building it in this film, I thought. And they were kind of almost relying on the fact that people have read the comics. I think they could have done a better job of bringing that out in this film. But it's still there, and it was... And then, that, and then there's, like, nice Uhura... Touch who's like freaking out 
because yeah. she thinks Spock's gonna die, and they've lost like yeah. communication for a little bit. And Sulu's like trying to calm her down, and Spock ends up in his report. He's completely open about what happened. That brings us back to where we were before. And then Spock Kirk, yeah. is in trouble. You know, Kirk didn't report it. I'm expressing multiple attitudes simultaneously. To which are you referring? But he um, fast trek. I was starting to say before we <laughs> sidetracked <laughs> that they fumble the ball a little bit with Kirk getting in trouble because he's supposed to be really getting in trouble. He's losing the Enterprise, but then but it's still very like it's like they just like Pike, punch you in the stomach. But then Pike, who's still spoiling him, says, I, "I'm getting the ship, and I brought you on as my first officer." And so, really, he's only been knocked down one peg. Yeah. He's still on the ship. Yeah. And then, and then... But, but, the, but his crew, the rest of his crew is gone. All, like, they're uh, all, they've all moved but, on other ships. Spock is the first officer on a different ship, and it's, it's sad. The, the crew got transferred. Yeah, but it never happened. There's all these... Yeah, they, but it was going to happen. They pile on that there's going to be all these consequences, but then they don't happen. And then it's kind of also tied into, then they went ahead and, like, then they killed Pike... And then, boom, Kirk's just back in the center seat again. And it's like, this is the most ridiculous Starfleet because he ended up just completely randomly in yeah, the center but they seat weren't, in they, the first they, movie. They had to stop thinking, like, because at that moment, uh, they obviously were not thinking about the Prime Directive. They were thinking about Benny Cucumber Patch. Well, <laughs> well, they weren't, well, not, 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 not that much. I mean, Kirk was and Admiral Marcus was, but... I think Admiral Marcus was thinking a lot about Benny Cumberbatch. But since I mentioned Pike getting killed, let's uh, back up and and, uh, explain how that happens. Because you first have the mysterious sort of terrorist attack. That's the mystery that kind of gets the movie going. I mean, I I was thinking about the guy. The guy who did it wasn't a terrorist. Yeah, yeah. But John Harrison, the guy behind it, is waging a terroristic war against Marcus. So that's that's what I meant by referring to Air quote. John Harrison, yeah. unquote. <laughs> and uh, he does this. He lures the uh, the big fancy pants admirals and such into a special meeting to talk about... Well, because, yeah, because of the attack the that attack. happened, there's automatically a meeting in this one room, and, like, everyone knows that. And, but, like, I was, I was kind of surprised nobody else thought of it, though. It's like, really? Like, somebody attacked a library... And you didn't think, you know, maybe we should meet somewhere else other than where everyone knows we're going to meet? Since <laughs> well, not we're... J- but, and as you learn later in the film, it wasn't a library as such. It really was the Section 31 secret, yeah. you yeah. know. So one of your most secret, secret things gets attacked, and then you have this meeting in this uh, completely open, indefensible spot. And as a vehicle... And some sort of air vehicle flies right a gorgeous, outside. A gorgeous little ship flies outside the windows. All of the admirals, all of the smartest, apparently, you know, military geniuses of Starfleet, just look out the window. <laughs> but we did. But we did, and see... just sit there and look at it. And it's we not, did. We did see until... other smaller air vehicles. Um, driving around the building, so maybe they thought it was just like they like yeah. they were just like confused, and it was only a few seconds. Like, remember because but still, they see because but also there were the lights. So first there are the lights, and you're kind of like, whoa, dude, what's up with the like everything's red? And then you look out, and you're like, what is that? And you're like, oh, that's a ship. And then Kirk, and then Kirk is like, clear the, and then everything explodes. Yeah, but to me, it it seemed strange that when you're having a super 
special meeting because there's just been a horrible terroristic attack and then suddenly there's something flying right outside your window, I would think that a lot yeah. of people would scatter right away. Like, yeah. Especially of, a, like Starfleet. Like, because they're Starfleet. Hit the deck. Yeah. And they have to wait until once again, you know, it's the punk. <laughs> Kirk <laughs> that has to say, oh, clear the room. It's like he's the only one smart enough to... But anyway. Um, and then he like, he like throws a thing and a thing and then it takes down and then like... And then uh, Betty C like looks then, at him and then... Yeah, then John... But it's dramatic. Then John Harrison... I have a screenshot of that scene on my iPod too. Then John Harrison beams directly from Earth to the to Kronos, the Klingon homeworld. Yeah, but but it's it's like... It's like they they made a they made a hint that it was they were using the transwarp uh beaming like equation yeah. to do something weird and like hop across yeah. things. It's still it's it's an awkward thing. But they didn't thing. explain it and it was very strange to beam directly from Earth to Kronos. Well, I think I think it's an awkward thing to introduce into the universe that that some that beaming that far is possible because it upsets the whole sort of structure of how things, things work. Yeah. You know, renders but, ships like Yeah. Yeah. But useless. um Kirk and the gang chase him to Kronos. Dun, dun, dun. Although as you get more information, it becomes more and more nonsensical because you learn that Admiral Marcus is actually a bad guy trying to start a war with the Klingons. Admiral Marcus is messing stuff up. Yeah, and Harrison... He, gone, he, hit, the, he hit the Cray button. Harrison is rebelling against Marcus, yeah. but he goes to Kronos, which fits right into Marcus's plan of starting a war at the Klingon, so I don't understand. Uh, uh, well, let's just get to the real meat here that we're talking around. We're kind of going chronologically here, more or less, so we haven't gotten to the big reveal. Kirk and the gang go to, go to Kronos, capture Harrison after a big shootout with Klingons. I quote Harrison, unquote. And then this and is... Uhura speaks Klingon to some Klingons, and then like yeah. Harrison takes out like an entire like a whole bunch with like this one dude, and yeah, then but then we finally get to the meat of the story because after they've captured him, and after additional sort of arguing back and forth between Kirk and various people, he finally just admits that he is in fact Khan. Bum bum bum. And and it's so amazing because he has a speech. When we were watching it the first time, there was this speech like leading up to it. And I was like, say it, say it, man. You got to say it, say it. Because <laughs> I knew that Benny C would be the perfect con. And so I was like, say it, say it, man. You got to say it, say it. And then he was like, I am con. And I just like flipped out. The problem, though, purely from a movie making standpoint, is that this film has not told you anything about con. They're relying entirely on the backstory in other films, in a different series of films, in a different timeline, <laughs> well, for people to, to get the ask... dramatic import of the reveal. My friend Lydia hasn't seen any of the original series, and she came, went and saw it with, with me. And so, like, because I kept looking over her, like, I wanted to but see her reaction. But when he said, I am Khan, her reaction must have just been, so? No, she was looking at him. She was like, well, of course, she is just as much a part of the Cumber Collective as I am. <laughs> But it was still, it was like, you're waiting, you're like... Oh. Well, you're... you're it's like, whoa! You're drawn in by his performance, but unless you're familiar with the original series and the other movies, when he says, I am Khan, like, it's a big deal, a lot of people are just gonna... There's not gonna be anything there, there, because it's just a name. He's we, such a good Khan. I think he could... I mean, there's the racial issue, 
But he said he'd make, even though he's like one of the whitest people on earth, he's still like, he's still. He's a great actor. He's a fantastic con. Like, I dare you to find another actor that would be better than him at playing the character of Well, I think it would have been great to find a really great Indian actor to play the role. Because, of course, the role was first played by Ricardo Montalban, who's Hispanic. (laughs) So, they're the. And so, I mean, it's already kind of a jumble, but the character Awkward. is supposed to be of Indian descent, and it would have been interesting to actually see an Indian in that role. But, but, but Benedict is ben a fabulous actor. For me, I was disappointed because, and this is the only time where I kind of compare this film Base drop cumber, whoop, whoop, whoop. to the previous film, because mostly I just want to judge this film on its own and not burden it with the uh, the backstory but the one thing that i do compare is for the old school fans that have seen space seed the original series episode that introduced khan mm-hmm. and then who have seen star trek to the wrath of khan mm-hmm. they were able to see a character that was given a a very wide range to play in the original episode He's very yeah, charming. Original, he's trying to, yeah. He's, yeah. Where if they had given this film didn't write those parts, and if so if they had given Ben the original full extent of the character, that's what I was. Th- I was thinking about. I was thinking about Benny in Spacey. Like, think <laughs> about him doing all those things. Yeah. Like, he would be amazing. He would have. He would and have. That's all I can think about. And he's still, of course, amazing with what they gave him in Into Darkness. Yeah, but all but I can think about is how... they gave him very little. They gave him two notes. They didn't give him the whole song but there was, the But there was also... Because you keep talking notes. about like, like, like rage and anger and stuff. But there was also like when he's talking about his family. His crew is his family. And he would do anything to protect them. Yeah, that was one little moment where they allowed him to... Portray but that's something the en- other but than that's rage. the entire reason he's but, so angry. However, then, uh, yeah, I think because all I'm sorry, all I can think about. Of course, I go to a very hippie school, but all I can think about when he says that is like the fifty kids in my grade <laughs> being though those people that yeah. I thought he had killed every single one of them, and I would be yeah. as just just as full of anger and rage as he is, and yeah. I would do all those exact same things. Yeah. Of course, the other thing, that, the other weakness, though, is that in the original, you got to see them, where in here, you don't get to see any of them. So you don't get to actually see him having an emotional scene with one of his people. You just get to see him emotionally talking about them, and they're all off screen because they're still uh, After a while, he like popsicles. he thinks he has them, though, because he has the torpedoes and he, like sees them beam into his bay. No, but like... I mean, they're not awakened like him so he can actually yeah, interact yeah. with them, you know, and so that you see him in that way. And and then of course, well, you know, and why are they in the torpedoes? Their their cryo chambers are in the torpedoes. When I saw the movie the first time, I was thinking that crazy Admiral Marcus had put them in the torpedoes. But Yeah, it, that's kind of what I thought too. But I read an interview with Damon Lindelof, one of the authors of the screenplay, and he explained that no that Khan this was how Khan was trying to sneak his people out of the, well, the secret base. Well, they said that in the movie, base. too. And I guess it's in there, but I, 
you know, it went by too quickly or something. I didn't I go by it. too quickly. I completely, like, when I when we saw it the first time, I completely absorbed that. And I, like, it gave you this feeling like that was the last, re- his, like, imagine your last resort being to put your, all of your friends <laughs> into torpedoes. Into bombs. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it would have to be the last resort. Of a secret base. Imagine that kind of desperation. Yeah. And the problem is, is that we do have to imagine it because none of that was really in the film in any effective way. I could, I, I mean, Benny. I, I would could, have liked to I have could seen. see it in Benny. Ah, but just, <laughs> but just think if there had been a scene where you actually saw him putting one of his people into a bomb. I think you I think you underestimate my emotional reactions to imaginary things that any Cumberbatch <laughs> could do. But as film goers, we shouldn't have to imagine all this dramatic what if, stuff. What it if should there's be in the a film. deleted scene? It should be in the what? film. Going back to his desperation and hiding the uh his people inside of bombs. This is one of the other things that really doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So Marcus wants to start a war with the Klingons. So instead of starting a war with the Klingons, he first decides what I'm going to do is I'm going to scour the known universe to try to find some of those supermen that were frozen 300 years no, ago. No, I think what happened is he found them first. And they had them in, like, By secret accident? bases. No, like, they found them and, like, covered it up and, like, had yeah. them for a while. And then Marcus started going, but, blah, 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 oh. and, like, this dark cloud, like, came over him. And he was like, you know what? I'm going to wake that guy with the cheekbones up. Yeah. But here's the thing. So instead of just starting a war with the Klingons, with what well, he already... Well, because I feel like he wanted to start a war with the Klingons, but still be in charge. Yeah. And to do that, he had to do it in a way so that nobody would ever suspect it was him. Which made but... everything really strange. <laughs> But, but, so, what he does is he wakes up Khan to help, to have Khan help him build I feel like weapons. maybe he, I feel like maybe he woke up, I feel like maybe they woke up Khan first, because and, he, because there was a thing how he was obviously, he like, in the original series he was obviously the leader, so that's why they woke him up, right? Or did, was it just random? No, it was the ship, the ship. Yeah. Had a, yeah. Um, I feel like maybe it was like one of those kind of things, so he was already, I'm just, I'm trying to make it work well, in my but, head because I love Benedict Cumberbatch. But the point I'm getting at is he decides that the way to start the war with the Klingons is by having the guy who's been sleeping for 300 years design him new weapons. Well, he's 300 years out of date. It was like he wanted, like, because... And the weapons he comes up with are just the weapons that start that, that Starfleet has, except bigger. And awesomer. <laughs> the, the, the vengeance ship. It was just a super Dude, big ship with the, super big oh guns. Oh, my God, the... That like, was the scariest thing yeah, that I've ever seen in but, Star Trek ever. But did Admiral Marcus need a guy who's been a popsicle for 300 years to tell him, just build a ship that's really big with really big guns? That doesn't make any sense. And if he's trying to not have the Klingons know that it was him that started it, why did he did he build a ship that looked exactly like a Starfleet ship? It didn't know. It looked like an angry bug. But it was, you know, it had a saucer section. It had the twin... I mean, it, it was... The... Okay, but okay, let's go back. Um, so building, a, uh, getting ideas from Benny C to mm-hmm. build a really big ship. Um, part of it was that he wanted like a, because of course the entire Starfleet thing is that we shouldn't we're gonna make these weapons for self defense or like whatever to protect things, but we're not gonna ever want to use them. We don't want to have to need to use these. Um, and so of course his entire career was built around yeah we're gonna have these weapons because. Mm-hmm. 
obviously we have to for safety, but we don't ever want to use them. Mm-hmm. We never want to have hostile contact with anyone ever, and that's entire that's years. Of course, he's old. That's that's for, that's decades of thinking like that. Marcus, you're talking. Yeah. About. Okay. So um, so imagine then him trying to then make a ship that's only for fighting. Mm-hmm. After forty some years of we don't want to fight anyone ever, that's bad. So then he thinks, "Oh my God, that dude with the flippy hair and cheekbones <laughs> was like crazy, and he will know what's up with the things, and he'll do the thing." Yeah, yeah. and then he did the thing, and then they're, oh my God, the ship. His uh, knowledge of technology is three hundred years out of date, though. So it yeah, but he can doesn't... say he can say you need this and this and this. You need and... a bigger ship so you can put bigger guns on it. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> People of the you're, future. You're making it sound like he's from <laughs> Texas. Khan's not from Texas. <laughs> That's just another aspect of the movie, of the screenplay, that just didn't convince me. It didn't make any sense to me. But, yeah, but Benny. Nor did it make any sense to me that Benny. he was able to somehow apparently build the ship in secret. It's like, how many Starfleet engineers did you need to build that giant ship? And yet it's implied that only the, you know, that A whole only bunch. the crew knows. Yeah, but it's implied that no one knows. It's very secret. They probably killed the other people. It still comes down to what's in the script. I like the not quite fully woven together idea, and so I weave it together in my head to make me happy. And so <laughs> well, then when yeah. I watch the movies, I'm like, this isn't what I remember, and we that's because I'm remembering of, things I made up. We have to do too much weaving in this movie, though, because yeah, so but, much is off screen and un- unexplained and and. Uh, but wouldn't, but wouldn't you rather have really. a new movie that you have to a little bit weave together yourself <laughs> than have nothing than no at all? Movie? Oh, I'm, I'm. I, I had this exact same argument with this kid at my school. I missed my bus because I was arguing about Star Trek. My my bus home. I'm pleased that <laughs> I'm pleased that JJ has re-energized the franchise, but I would certainly I just, my, much rather that the scriptwriters. My view on the movies is that they're essentially like they're like half remakes by JJ Abrams. You're he's of course a fantastic. He's great. But, you know, obvious flaws in some cases. And, <laughs> yeah. And, but, a lot of flaws. You're not going to get an original series level Star Trek movie in 2013. It's not going to happen. Well, but I. And what we have is better I than disagree. nothing. Better than nothing, perhaps. But there are lots of great writers out there. I don't see any reason why a person couldn't script a Star Trek movie that. No, there's there's no reason. Isn't but full it's, of plot it's holes. It's 2013, and it's well, I, JJ, I, and I don't really understand the the point you're making there. Then it's when was the, what what was the last movie you saw that was past 2010 that didn't have these same exact flaws? <laughs> like what? Well, I haven't. I don't go to a lot of movies. Maybe. Sadly, maybe. But... Maybe the Marvel movies, maybe Warm Bodies, and that's it. It's like everything else. Like it's the same. In, they're just big, like actiony sci-fi movies to show off the special effects that we've developed, and that's yeah. fine because that's what we have now. I still think it's possible to write a big action adventure movie that's not full of plot holes. It, it is possible, and it's but been no done before with the original Star Trek movies. And we can't. Well, the originals that aren't perfect either. But from J.J. Abrams. Well, I'm not willing to just completely give up. <laughs> I'm still going to demand. 
Of course, I'll be. A I will be crafted film. The happiest person if there is a, like, yeah. a, if there is another one, and if it's and if it's that good. But I still think it's. I think it's good for the fans to point out these problems, and you know, maybe someday it'll have an effect. But that, but that doesn't mean we can't still enjoy the movie. Like, well, I'm not telling anyone. The... I'm 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 not dictating to someone you shouldn't enjoy the film. No, I know. But if it's you enjoy like... the film, you enjoy the film. But when we go to but see, but I'm explaining why we... I didn't when enjoy the film see... that much. When we go to see the movie again, like it. I'm not in a rush to go see it again. I've already seen it. Twice. Now you've seen it twice, and that's oh. So this brings us well, actually. Of course, the majority of the second movie I spent trying to count the lens flares, which of course I couldn't. <laughs> the um. Let's come back to the second viewing a little bit later because why don't we push on through the rest of the plot as we're kind of uh, recounting here. So you get the big reveal and then you get the big monster ship comes in. Scariest thing It's a scary looking ever. ship. God, that thing freaked me out. It's got the out. big, big, super huge guns that were well, each... Well, it more, it more each... scared me after I figured out it could go like faster than warp and I was just like, what does that even mean? My universe is broken. Yeah. Well, yeah. What does it even mean? It's just another thing that they throw in there that it doesn't really it, know what they're I getting at. It. It was... So they get into a big fight <laughs> with the ship, but they're saved because Scotty has infiltrated the uh, ship and is uh, messing with it from the inside. But one thing that I did like, I liked the concept. I don't think they took it as far as they could have, but I liked how for a part of the film... Kirk and Khan are working together against Oh my Admiral god, Marcus. that part of the movie. That's a nice twist. And I think they could have done a lot more with that, but that that was a nice twist. What they really fumbled was then the connection of with Carol Marcus. Because that character What's with her accent? Why is she like <laughs> why is she like a Brit and in... they cast a British actress to play the daughter of Peter Weller playing Marcus, and he's American, so he has. Let's a, go with this. Obviously, she grew up some, in fancy private schools in England because he's was, the admiral of Starfleet. Yeah, and there was something. Obviously, actually, I think I saw Damon Lindelhoff say something about this that there was this backstory that she, yeah, grew up that that he was stationed in England or something. Maybe it's in a deleted scene. I can't remember, but but anyway, her character was really kind of pointless. They didn't do hardly anything with her. I'm sure that in the next film she'll be a much bigger thing. But I also didn't like. She, um, was, she was lame. And like they had at the one point, at one point, Khan goes and like breaks her her thigh. Yeah. And she does. She is a Starfleet officer, and she doesn't do anything other than sit there and, and kind of like scream and like yell at Kirk. Yeah, they really. It was really a disappointing character. Um, we were talking character. about this earlier today with the Avengers people. It's like all the men's t-shirts, well, all the men's shirts say, I am a hero, and all the women's shirts say, I need a hero. It's like, come on, guys. Yeah, that's pathetic. We're, it's 2013. Yeah. There was a female Avenger in the movie. Let's get it yeah. going. We're not, yeah. and so not the 1900s. Carol Marcus... But she was in Starfleet, wasn't she? She yeah, she's like she's like super sure. awesome. She's like really smart. She was she like majored in like uh, yeah, advanced weaponry, stuff. and she's like super cool. But then they had her like take off her clothes for no reason, and then she like they had her act really smart around the torpedo and for yeah. In that one scene where they're trying to uh, defuse the torpedo, she was acting very smart. They were having her be like a professional that knew what she was doing. 
but then they had her sort of turn into the damsel in distress character in the which uh, I know I know I know it's Star Trek, but again, it's now like we're let's get it like she can fix her. She is a science officer. Well, Uhura is a strong character. And oh, they yes, have, you yes, know. I love what they've done with Uhura. She's very and had the way she's not. A, she wasn't even afraid of the Klingons when she. Well, I mean, she was afraid obviously because of the Klingons, but yeah. when she walked but up, she, she was just, just like, you know right what? Alone. It's going down on yeah. her. Stuff, bro. <laughs> so they know how to write a strong woman character, but they didn't do that with Marcus. So then, yeah, that's part of the scene where things turn back. Marcus gets whacked by Khan, and now Khan is now back being the really nasty bad guy. So that then you have sort of the second ending of the film. The first ending is when they defeat Marcus, but then the second ending is now they have to fight Khan. And then that turns into a little uh, over-the-top chase scene. First, the ships crash because apparently it's only a couple hundred yards from the moon to the Earth. So when they're fighting like in orbit around the moon, <laughs> then when the ship gets blasted, it immediately falls into the atmosphere of Earth. That was an awkwardly edited sequence because it made it... It's like they skipped over the 250,000 miles between the yeah. Earth and the moon. but. But but that's a minor that's a minor thing. But the one thing that I was annoyed by when they showed the vengeance, the giant ship crashing down, that they show it just nosing right into Cloud. the harbor. Yeah, they just like with this big wall of water comes up and then it cuts and in the next shot it's crashing into buildings like inland. Yeah, it's like and the physics of it made no I sense. I know it's a big it, ship. It didn't but skip it, it like a rock. It would it not nosed go in. that it, far. It wasn't coming back out. It no. <laughs> the way they showed it hitting the water that should have been staying in the water, but then it somehow comes Maybe out it and crashes. Over. It's one of those callous adventure scenes because that giant ship crashing through all those buildings would have killed who knows how many thousands of people, and you don't even see any of those victims. They're never even referred to. It's kind of awkward, but that's sort of a common thing in big adventure dis- uh, disaster movies where there's always buildings collapsing and, and you're not really given any thought to the to the victims there. Another thing I thought that was really weird was Khan survives, leaps from the ship. 30 feet down. Spock beams down to go after him, and Khan takes a look at him and starts running. <laughs> it's like, why did he run? Why didn't he just... I, he, he, was, he was already running. It's like, like I don't understand he was, why he the, was running. The second Khan like, got down there, he was already like running and grabbing the coat. And like, yeah. and then it was when he saw Spock that he like jumped. He ran and jumped onto the ship. Yeah, you know what I didn't window. like, though? Let's go a little bit back for just one second. When he is fighting with Admiral Marcus mm-hmm. physically. And he grabs his head and... Crushes his head. Yeah. Now the, like an overripe the, melon. The... the <laughs> The line he says, the line he says during that where he's like, you should have let me sleep is amazing. But then he... Is that what he said? Yeah. Well, that's a cool line. It was intense. I didn't even... Bro. Now, see, they didn't say he had superhuman strength. They said his cells regenerated quickly. That's different than being able to crush people's skulls with your But they had demonstrated... In his fight with the Klingons, it wasn't as obviously developed as as it. He was been, he was but... very he was obviously very lithe and strong, mm-hmm. but he and awesome and able to take quite a few 
punches enough to tire yeah. Kirk out. But well, like, that's a th- well. Oh yeah. Well, that's the other thing is that when Kirk, when they first, when they captured him, well, when he was surrendered because they didn't really capture him, and Kirk was pummeling him, clearly it was having no effect on him whatsoever. And that also, or, or at least very little. And that also demonstrated that he was a very strong guy and that yeah. that was, you know, so I think it was there that he was that strong. You're not necessarily expecting them, him to start crushing heads like overripe melons. No, though. that was, that was too far. And that was pretty, that was gruesome. I mean, they didn't show it, but it was still Of course still I like, am like, we, we, we watched the walking dead. So we're all for gruesome. I, yeah. We've seen heads crushed in other but, uh, media, but, uh, but the reason it was okay for people to crush those heads was because those heads were literally exactly like overripe melons. They were zombies. <laughs> like, well, and, and to me, this is another part where it would have been, more interesting if they had kept Khan more sympathetic. If they had kept Marcus, the real bad guy, and had Khan actually be yeah, more... Yeah, what if Khan was about to, like, what, like, smash his head in with his fist or something, and he looked over at Carol, and Carol's sitting there with a broken thigh, like, screaming because he's about to kill her father, mm-hmm. and he, like, hesitates, and then gets, like, and then, like, something else happens. Yeah. I would have been much more interested... If they had gone further away from the source material. There was a couple things I didn't like about the regeneration, like the cells being able to regenerate so fast and stuff. Um, It was like when Uhura beams down on another little ship, she stuns him like nine times in a row. Mm-hmm. And he barely has, it's like that phaser was probably on the highest setting before killing him. And... He like every time after a while, he just like didn't uh, didn't react almost at all to the phaser. It's like it's like when you're a little kid and you're playing a game and it's like, no, I hit you, stop it, I hit you, that's not fair. And I was like, no, you got that, you got hit with the, now you gotta now you gotta pretend to fall asleep. <laughs> we haven't touched upon the big Wrath of Khan scene, the death scene where they invert the characters. Mm-hmm. What did you think of that? I'm gonna. I'm. I'm pausing because I'm trying to figure out a way to express how I feel about it without actually getting emotional. <laughs> I'm taking a moment to be. You to can be, be emotional. Yeah, but it's because it's not, we are not Vulcans. It's not, but it's not logical. <laughs> um, it was just. It was a good. It was good. It was a good idea to switch it. I feel somebody. Oh my God! Ready to have your mind blown? Somebody on Tumblr said, "Remember that thing in the first Star Trek, um, the first JJ Trek, where um." Uh, original timeline Spock like grabs Kirk and like does this like does um does the mind meld does the mind meld and he what happens is basically Kirk gets like a flash of everything that happened in the original timeline and why he has to do stuff somebody said somebody was like raging about Antonio and they were like he knew he knew that Spock was supposed to die then and that oh my god, that theory that he had seen, he had seen Spock die because of that exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Just like, I almost like broke down over my iPod. So, you know, that would have been cool if they had actually implied that in the film somehow. I guess, but it was just like... But otherwise... I feel like part of it was also like... It's just another cool idea that a fan had that that the writers of this thing didn't. I just, and then he's like, at, and he's like, Spock, how do you not, come on, I'm scared, dude, you gotta, like, how do you not feel that? And Spock's like, I don't, like, I can't do it right now. And then you're just like, ah. 
Well, I, the, the scene fell kind of flat for me, and we discussed this actually at three in the morning on our drive home from the show. I don't remember show. that. <laughs> because I said the thing is, is that when they did that, and here's another one of the things where I'm actually comparing it directly to the uh, original material. When you get to the scene in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, where Spock is dying, this is something that's been built up over uh, decades of watching the original series and watching those movies. And so it has a gravity given to it by the fact that these guys have been around for so long. I remember I remember the first and time this... I watched that movie, I couldn't handle cuz we were we were having like a marathon and we were and we were going to just watch the next movie right away and I was like I am not ready. We yeah. have to take like a serious break right now. That was too yeah. much because of course and I've, of course I've always like ever since I was little Spock was always my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so these guys who've only played the roles in one previous movie, no matter how good an, good of actors they are, there's no way that that scene can have the same depth, the same emotional resonance as it did with the original actors. I, I feel like we're just talking about how um, how J.J. Trek can never compare to the original Trek because obviously it can't. But I'm not saying that at all because I think movies in this new timeline with the proper script could be just as entertaining as the movies with the original cast members. What I'm saying that this particular scene, the, the odds were stacked against it because it didn't have that extra weight of the years of those actors playing those parts. But I still think that you could write a movie in this new timeline that would be just as great as any of the uh, other Star Trek films. I just, I feel you like... You don't the... think they could make it I... that way? Mm -mm. If you're looking at one of the other films, like... Star Trek VI, Undiscovered Country, or Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. The entertainment value that came from Star Trek IV didn't have anywhere near as much to do with the long history of the characters as Star Trek II did. And so I you... love that movie so much. Well, it's a very entertaining movie. That's like the movie I watch when I'm sick and like can't do anything. I'm like, let's watch that with commentary. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because as I said at the top of the show... I am not disliking this movie no, no, because yeah. of I'm an old school fan and so I can't enjoy these movies. Those young hipster not actors with their hair. I've got, I've, got, no. <laughs> <laughs> I've got no problem with the new movies and have high hopes for them to really craft a screenplay that's careful and... <laughs> Apparently involves cats. Yeah. So, Kirk dies instead of Spock. But there's really no worries because... They've made very clear how he's going to come back. I didn't. I didn't realize how he was going to. How they were going to have him come back as early. Like really? No, I didn't see that because well, they set it up. I mean, first it gets set up right at the beginning of the film, because before anything else happens, you Harrison gets the gets his inside guy for the terror attack by. You know, he finds someone whose daughter is dying of some horrible disease or something, and he says, "I can cure her." Was that his blood? Yeah. See, I didn't read that. That stuff looked purple. It looks like wine to me. Ah, so you missed that? Yeah, he. I, that's oh, how he God, saved the girl. Oh, now you. Oh. <laughs> so he saves the girl with his. It blood. It ruins the prize. And, <laughs> now I. And no. then, and then it flashes, and then, and then. But she, but she was not dead. She was comatose. She was sick. Then, much later in the film. 
who knows why, for some reason, McCoy is taking the time to take Khan's blood and inject it into dead triples. I'm not quite sure. I want to know why he has a dead... Why did he have a dead it, Tribble? I, th- I think it's, it's probably like a trophy for him. Because <laughs> he, like, hates Tribbles. You know, where did that come from? He's got the dead Tribble. He injects I, the blood into it. I bet he keeps it, like, over his bed. I don't know why he injects... I mean, he must have already noticed that the blood was different. And I, I don't know. It was just bizarre. But that just really telegraphed the ending because then as soon as Kirk is dying, well, you know, yeah, but, you know, we know that the, that the blood can raise things from the dead. Like Tribbles and Kirks. So, <laughs> so you know, he injects them. But then this is the problem. This is another one of the big problems. It's just like the uh, fancy pants director's edition uh, transporter effect that can beam you from Earth to Klingon. Now they've got Khan's blood that can bring people back from the dead. It's just a weird thing to introduce into the universe. It's 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 like yeah. it shouldn't even be there. Because why wouldn't Starfleet pursue like synthesizing that blood? And it's like, well now no one ever dies. Boom. There's the end of drama. <laughs> no more drama in Star Trek because everyone, you know, comes back to life because we just have Ensign, a, Ensign, in the back like, room we've got a bucket of Khan's blood that yeah, we keep like around. When Spock Kirk Scotty and Ensign Ricky beam down to a planet. Ensign Ricky still dies, but they bring him back, and, like, he dies every time. There's only one red shirt. Life insurance for red shirts is going to come down because... Because now they just get their con shot. Because technically survival goes to the Everyone, roof. Everyone, you would just have... It, it, I bet they get... The, it's like a preventative thing. It'd be like an They'll, epi. They, they'd give, like... It's epi-pen. like a shot of yeah. EpiPen. You just have it with you. EpiCon. Yeah. Boom. You're alive. <laughs> but then they, they, they capture him because Spock beats the bejeebers out of, out of Benedict, <laughs> along with Uhura's help. On the, I uh, liked that, because Spock was like, man, you killed Kirk. I'm, 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 um, I'm done with your stuff, man. You just, you, you have to go. Then they put him back in the freezer. It's almost kind of a Raiders of the Lost Ark ending. It was almost, it was almost sad. There they are, just in the warehouse. I couldn't tell if I was sad or happy Covenant. because he was like, you should have left me to sleep. It or is, like, or like. I it is kind of sad. Because... I wish they would have played up the tragedy of the character more. But he was more just like a big, you know, Bond villain that had to be killed. Then they, they freeze him up. And then we flash forward a year. You get the little epilogue. And now they're going to start the five-year mission. You know, in the end, the movie didn't really do that much for me. The number of plot holes and, and inconsistencies and just playing like, what the, huh? <laughs> Moments just uh, overwhelmed me. It, uh, there, there was too much. Uh, but I'm curious. I only saw it the one time, but then you went back relatively quickly and saw it a second time. Oh, yes, because I like, had to. What was it like seeing a second time? I definitely noticed more of the flaws, mm-hmm. but along with the flaws, I also noticed like all these minute little details and like... Um, there were a lot of little trivia bits I noticed, kind I of noticed sprinkled in I noticed more like Spock and Uhura bits and like mm-hmm. more little bits of dialogue that I didn't notice. And So how would you compare the impact of the film... From seeing it in 3D versus seeing it in 2D. Again, I'm kind of sad because I feel like I'm used to it. Mm-hmm. 
Like it didn't. I didn't acknowledge the fact yeah. that the first time I saw. Like, what no, helps it's... is like usually if you go from seeing it in three D on a theater screen to seeing it in two D on your TV screen, mm-hmm. that's worse. That's yeah. a worse transition. But seeing it in three D on a theater screen and then in two D on a theater screen, like that's better. And so it wasn't as yeah. big of a because the screen was still so giant. It wasn't as well, big of a shift. And I think that also kind of indicates that the three D really doesn't add that much to a movie. But the warps, the warp sparkles. <laughs> the, we have to come up with a different word than sparkles, though, because that makes I, it sound but, like Twilight vampires. And oh, just... now you. But I like I like saying warp sparkles. <laughs> it sounds nice. We're, like we don't even we don't even need to think about Twilight anymore. That's you, that's that's sparkles, over. But you said sparkles. But but Twilight <laughs> is over. That's we don't need to suffer through any more of that now. <laughs> We can say sparkle. I think sparkling. You're reclaiming the word sparkles. Yes, I'm reclaiming okay. the, the word sparkles from the Twilight fandom. You guys need to, like, back off. I need my, <laughs> like, me and the How I Met Your Mother fandom with Robin Sparkles are taking it back, man. <laughs> For me, the 3D, and this just sounds like an old man thing, but I'm going to say it anyway, it just seems like a gimmick to me that doesn't add... I mean, you know, sometimes it does. Well, for me, it makes it a little bit more dramatic. Well, but I think it becomes a crutch for the director. Yeah. That they know that, well, this will be in 3D. This is going to be really eye catching, you know, and that's why I think in the first Hobbit film, which was three hours long, uh, fully an hour of that is uh, dwarves falling. Dwarves, that was it was too much. Dwarves falling like goes on for an hour. It was like it was like a Bilbo slipped off something or someone, and then like a dwarf went to, and there was like a whole bunch. Uh, there was like this one giant scene of just them trying to pull Bilbo up. When they were in the goblin caves and they start falling, and they're on like these rickety bridges, and they start falling, and they fall, and they fall, and they fall some more, and they crash into another bridge, and they fall again, and they fall some more. And it just <laughs> goes on, and it's like these guys have fallen four miles into the earth now, and they all, they're all fine when they hit the, at the bottom. And it just gets, it's, it's, it's so easy for the director to say, well, let's see, oh, we'll, yeah. have it, we'll have it zoom at the camera. Trying to capture the attention of the audience in the old-fashioned way with a well-written script, that kind of falls by the wayside a little bit because they know that it's going to be so eye-catching in 3D. So, in the end, you give it a big thumbs up. I love it so much more than the first movie. I say meh. Part of that might be because Benny Cucumber Patch is in it, but that's okay because I love it. I actually enjoyed the first movie more. Why? Because it was more fun. This was a very bleak film. It was dark, and which which That's part of it? People that know me, I don't have a problem with you gotta, bleak. You gotta have the dark sequel. I watch a lot of bleak stuff. Well, and and, and love the it. Walking Dead. Like the Walking We've Dead. already talked about like I love it. There was like zero hope there, and but, yet we but, still some like yeah. But for for this Star Trek movie, it was just like hey, you know, it didn't have the same fun factor that the first one did, and the fun factor is what carried me through the ridiculous screenplay. It was and still fun. There one, were still bits of comedy. There and were like... bits. I did like that in this script, it did not rely on a lot of coincidences to move the plot forward like That's the first true. one That's did. That's true. But there was still a lot of nonsense that didn't make, you know, stuff that didn't make sense. But there weren't as many coincidences. So I'll give them that to the writing gang. I'm glad you cut down on the coincidences, but you didn't cut down on the nonsense. So I found the first one 
more enjoyable because it was a much more fun film despite its flaws. This one, despite its flaws, then it's kind of a bleak film. So the combination that it was a dark film and still had a lot of the nonsense made me just kind of meh. We forgot to talk about when Scotty refuses to sign for the torpedoes. Great scene. And then Great scene for the character. Because he doesn't know what's in them and he's afraid that his ship will go down if they fire one and and then he knows he's like this is obviously a military operation. Is that what Starfleet is now? And he's the only character yeah. that seems to realize that what they're doing is wrong. Of course he's Scotty, so he's, you know, a little dramatic because he loves the Enterprise as his baby. And he says he just immediately is like, Well then I resign. And he doesn't, you can tell, he's just, he doesn't, he obviously doesn't want to be involved with this, but he also doesn't expect Kirk to then, he's like, do you accept my resignation? And Kirk's like, yes, I do. And you can see in his, like, immediately he just looks broken because he realizes he's actually going to have to leave the Enterprise. And the Enterprise is going to go to Kronos without him. Yeah. Looking back, that's probably one of my favorite scenes in the film. It's, and, it's then, because it's, and then he gives Kirk his, like, pad and motions to, like, the little, the little alien guy who's become, like, his sidekick. And the little <laughs> yeah. alien guy, like, hands over his pad and, like, looks up at Kirk with the giant eyes. And then they leave. <laughs> I can't remember. Scotty actually said his name. I can't remember it. I'm sorry, little alien guy. I always forget his name as well. It's something strange. Yeah. Um, but then when – and then they're in the club and Scotty's like, I called him perfect hair. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was a good bit. The phone call, like the drunken phone call. Oh, wait, no, I have to talk about something else. They're starting to use communicators because communicators, like, um, like those, they're supposed to be, like, they're mainly Starfleet devices. And they're starting to use them like cell phones. And I don't like it. I don't know if you were watching it. The, the way they were using them was so different from the original, like, way that um, the communicators were used. I immediately oh, picked okay. up on it. And it was, yeah, like, I, yeah. bugging me throughout the entire movie how they were, like, it was just like a cell phone call. But obviously it's kind of amusing because I guess, I guess in they, some ways they cell phones it. came from communicators. <laughs> and it's, like, this, yeah. it's this, this feedback loop guess, between yeah. the sci-fi and, and, and real They They and did the need it. And it phones. was, it, it, the, the phone call with Scotty was very funny. It was funny. But... I think we've probably reached the end of our romp through Into Darkness. and Prance. Our prance. Excuse we you. prance We're more through. fabulous than that. <laughs> With our well, warp think, sparkles. Yeah, but for me, I kind of plotted through it because like it just su- We're like didn't superheroes. Really work we, wear, we wear capes of warp sparkles. I, I have no response to that, but uh, all I can do is... I love the warp sparkles. Just after the, the, the I same thought I had after JJ's first trek... I have the same thought now. I'm just hoping for the next one to actually make sense. I don't think I can. I could. You don't talk, think it will? Uh, no, I yeah, don't. I don't expect won't. it to make any more sense than the last two have. I think it's time to let the credits roll. The credit sequence. The is, gorgeous, the gorgeous planet. I was like, I was sitting there like, it's the best scene in the movie. One of these days, my freaking name is going to be up there above like an ice planet man. J.J. <laughs> Abrams, that is going to happen. That's all the time we have for this episode. Tune in next month for episode 10, Geek Story. We'll be interviewing John Fraser, who works for the fabulous website Think Geek, and we want to own all their things, all of them. Please submit your own questions for Fraser or comments about Think Geek on our Facebook page or email us at thegeeks at generationsgeek.com, and we'll respond during the show.
Remember that Generations Geek is a part of the Chronic Rift Network, which broadcasts from the island of Misfit Toys. Please give their other fine podcasts a listen at chronicrift.com. And please follow Generations Geek on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and check out our website at generationsgeek.com. Thanks for listening, and come back next time. No geeks were harmed in the making of this podcast. Ooh, shiny.